I'm going to tell you a true story. This is uh, an awesome, awesome story. And it goes like this, that in 1948, so everyone knows we were in the midst of what's called the War of Independence, and everyone's read about it. So this is a story that was happening during that time. So it was the day before Hanukkah. Remember, this is a true story. I read it <coughs> from a magazine. It had all kinds of pictures uh, from the person that it happened to. The person that it happened to wrote the story. So it was the day before Hanukkah, but uh, they didn't know it was the day before Hanukkah. This is on a very, very secular kibbutz in the Negev. And because of all the fighting and everything, people just weren't really paying attention to what date it was. They knew what the, the English date was, but they weren't so connected to what the Hebrew date was. And this secular kibbutz was totally surrounded. It's down, it was actually very, very close to what's in the news every day now. It's very near to Aza, near to Egypt, and just like that's in the news every day now, they, they, they were surrounded. And as you know, that part of the country, especially then, was very isolated. There were not that many settlements down there. And the Haganah, this was even before there was actually a, an army in Israel, was desperately trying to figure out how to get help to them. Because the situation was truly dire. They were cut off for weeks. They were running out, out of food. They had almost run out of ammunition. And they were literally on, on their, last, their last hopes. And the Haganah decided to send a like a last fling opportunity to try to get food and ammunition into the kibbutz so they could hold out at least until something else would happen. And the people who volunteered for this mission knew that it was extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous, but they, they got um, <coughs> one jeep full of volunteers. They filled the jeep with ammunition, food, water, and they were going through the back hills of the Negev, so they wouldn't be detected, trying to reach this kibbutz. And so they go at night, of course, and they, they go however long, an hour or whatever, and all of a sudden the, the jeep stops. <coughs> and they're trying to figure out <coughs> what's going on, what's happening. And then one of them says, oh my God, we didn't fill the Jeep with gas. We ran out of gas. And they're like, they don't, they're like in the middle of nowhere. And this whole kibbutz is depending on them. And if it gets light, and they're out in the middle of nowhere, they're in trouble also. So they're trying to figure out what to do. And one of them is like looking around and says, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I think Somewhere near here, there's an abandoned English um, uh, army post. M maybe there's <laughs> some gas there. Maybe they left a can of gas there. So, hope against hope, they just take off in the middle of the night. 
and they're trying to figure things out. And it took hours and hours. They're walking, and lo and behold, they find it. They find it, and they, it's all dark. It's totally abandoned. It's, it's, a, it's a wreck. And they're, <coughs> they're checking every room, maybe, maybe, maybe. And sure enough, they find a can of gas. So they schlep it all the way back, and they fill the Jeep, they take off, and they're able to like kind of sneak through um, the, the siege. And they get to the kibbutz like, like 3 in the morning. And the people there are ecstatic. They think this, this is like, they can't believe it. They can't believe it. And so, what they decided to do is there was shooting going on, and they weren't returning the fire because they were down to literally their last bullets, and they, they had to save it for like the, 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 the final ambush. So they started shooting back, which made the Arabs understand that somehow they had gotten reinforcements. For all they knew, 20 jeeps came in, and all of a sudden the Arab guns stopped. It was like the first time in months that there wasn't shooting like every minute all night long. And the Arab guns stopped. And so the people are just, they're like ecstatic. And so then they started talking, like, well, how did you get here? How did it happen? So they, they told the whole story. They told this whole story how they found this can of gas. And then one of them says, just like, maybe I'm wrong, but isn't tonight the first night of Hanukkah? And they look at each other and think, yeah, it is. And one of them says, we have our own miracle of the oil. Right, it was gas, but <laughs> our own miracle of the oil. So they said, let's light a Hanukkah. So one of them said, like I said, it was a very secular kibbutz, and they didn't really have a Hanukkah. So one of them said, let's, let's, let's dry off this can of gas. This was our miracle. And let's light the candles on the can of gas. So they wiped it all out so they didn't blow themselves up. <laughs> <laughs> and they lit the Hanukkah that night with this miracle of theirs. And later, the person that, who, was, who was there, who was one of the people in the Jeep, said they took wire cutters, and the, the four people or so who were in the Jeep, they cut up the can of gas, and they promised each other that they would weld it into a Hanukkah. And he wrote this story many years later, and he says, every year... He lights his Hanukkah from this can of gas. It's an incredible, it's absolutely incredible, and it's absolutely true. But it tells us so much about the connection of Hanukkah today. If, if, if you look at the comparisons, we said before, one family takes on the whole Greek empire. And even at the height the Maccabees had, I believe, according to history, eight or 9,000 soldiers at the, at the height. 
And every time they, they defeated the Greeks, they had 20, 30, 40,000. They, they sent bigger and bigger armies. Until the last battle, I think, was something like 90,000 against 8,000, something like that. And we won the war. And we have a holiday of Hanukkah. But in the prayers of Hanukkah, we say the few against the many. It was a story of the few against the many. So if you look at, at history, look at, let's say, 19... We'll take 1941. 1941. The reason I picked that date is because everyone's heard of Menachem Begin. So he wrote a book, which I highly um, recommend to anyone, called The Revolt, which is his autobiography of being the head of the Irgun. And he writes in the book that at, at their darkest hours, when not only they, were they being chased by, by the British, but they were being chased by the Jews also, that he drew his inspiration from the Maccabees. He writes it very clearly in the revolt that that, w that was his, his example to live by. But for those of you who know history, um, let's just look at this picture. In 1941, when uh, we were fighting for a state here, at that time there were approximately 400,000 Jews in Israel. By 1948, because after the Holocaust, there were around 600,000. So there, let's say there were around 400,000 Jews in Israel in 1941. They were fighting against the entire British Empire, which at that time, if you remember the phrase, it, it doesn't apply anymore, but the sun never sets on the British Empire. In 1941, that was still true. The sun literally never set on the British Empire. So we were fighting the British Empire. We were fighting the entire Nazi uh, attempt to dominate the world. 1941, it could have happened. could have happened. And also, if you know history, Rommel was in Egypt in 1941, and they were on their way to Israel. Many people don't know this, this part of the story. That Rommel was on his way to cross the Sinai in order to take over Israel. So you can imagine what would have happened to the 400,000 Jews here. And at the same time, the entire Muslim world, Arab world for sure, and whole Muslim world was against the formation of the Jewish state. And how was it seven years later against the entire British Empire, the entire Nazi war machine, and the entire Muslim world, 400,000 Jews, and at the top, 600,000 Jews, managed to create a state of Israel. This is the Hanukkah story all over again, but even more phenomenal odds. If you really think about it, like we, we take it so for granted. We take it so for granted that, of course we won. And of course we won in 67, and of course we won the Yom Kippur War. And 
Of course. But it's not so obvious. Not so obvious at all. So that's why Hanukkah in Israel especially is is the line between a nationalistic holiday and a religious holiday, the lines are totally blurred here. Because people understand that the story of Hanukkah, maybe of all of the holidays, it is most relevant now than any of the other holidays. And so, here we are all in Israel. Some of us live here, some of us are here for the year. But what a privilege. What a privilege to be here and to light these lights. You know, in the blessing that we say, tonight we'll say three blessings. Lahadlik Ner Shel Hanukkah, Sha'asa Nisim Lavotenu, and Shechianu. But in the prayer, Sha'asa Nisim Lavotenu, who made miracles uh, for our fathers, Bayamim Hahem, in those days, in this time. So there's a discussion, what does it mean in this time? So the simple understanding is means at this time of the year. In other words, years ago, in this time of the year. But other people say it with the nekudot a little bit differently and say it and they read it like this, that God did miracles for our fathers in those days, and then in brackets, and also, also in this time. And this is, especially after what I just said, this is a very important understanding of Hanukkah. That <coughs> this is not something that happened a long time ago. We're really living the ongoing miracle every day. Now, when we get to the eighth day of Hanukkah, and everyone should ask themselves, well, what happens tomorrow? Right? Is there a ninth light? I mean, does, does the light continue? Does the miracle continue? And the truth is, from the time we came back here a hundred years ago, and even longer, we never left, but let's say the the resurgence of the ingathering of the exiles it's been one miracle after another it's like there's an eighth night, a ninth light a tenth light, it just, it really never stops and it's it's very important not to take these miracles for granted not to take these miracles for granted that if anyone was here during the, the war last, last not the past summer but I guess a year and a half ago, knows that we're not out of the woods yet. Right? We're not out of the woods yet. I w actually was in spot when the Katushas started falling. And then after that, we had, we, we put up families for off and on for weeks that, who had to leave. So we're not quite out of the woods yet. So we should really appreciate the miracle. First of all, we should appreciate that each and every one is, is here in Israel to light the Hanukkah candles. That's the first level. And then we should just appreciate all of the miracles that are happening. And we should see even greater miracles. We should see even greater miracles. 
And I do want to mention something that uh, my policy is, in general, is never to get into politics. I don't mix education and politics. It's bad, a bad marriage, bad mix. But what I'm saying, I don't feel is, is really political. If anyone takes it like that, um, it's not my real intention. It, to me, it's a spiritual thing. Is that this Hanukkah is very special. Just yesterday, um, at the corners, they started handing out these gold uh, ribbons that people are starting to put on their cars and to, to wear them and put them on their backpacks and everything. Um, to signify that, just like at the time of uh, the Maccabim, we had, we had to fight for Yerushalayim. It was not handed to us on a silver platter. And we see again that we should not take Yerushalayim as we know it right now for granted. That's all I want to say. I don't want to get into politics, but everyone knows what's going on. And we, we shouldn't take for granted that what we have right now is going to be like that a year or two from now. So when we light the Hanukkah candles here in Yerushalayim, especially you in Yerushalayim, I'll be in Modi'in, the home of the Maccabees, and you'll be in Yerushalayim where the miracle happened. You can just look over at the Temple Mount right over here every day as you come to and from classes. So we should also appreciate what we have right now. We should really appreciate what we have right now. And then I just want to tie it to one more thing, the idea of, of Tikkun Olam. So I'll tell uh, another story. This is also a true story. And that is, is that when the Maccabees took over, so for a short amount of time, uh, there was a very strong move to reestablishing Jewish uh, sovereignty in the whole land. What many people don't realize is that the war between the Maccabees and the Greeks lasted 25 years, and the story of the miracle in the temple was only in the third year. Many people do not know this. Most people think that's the end of the war, and this miracle happened, and that's the end of the story. Unfortunately, it w wasn't. That's why I said, in Loach Shav Eimatai, they had not really kicked the Greeks out of Eretz Israel, but they recaptured Yerushalayim. And you know what? Not even all of Yerushalayim, but they recaptured the temple. And they couldn't, and that was something they couldn't wait. I'm not going to wait until we take over the whole land. We have the temple now. Let's rededicate the temple. That's what Hanukkah means, to rededicate. And so, after Yehuda Maccabee, who was like the leader, so there was a Jewish community in the Golan Heights. In the Golan Heights, which also tells us that uh, Jews lived there nonstop all the ways back. In fact, if you don't if you don't know, very interesting piece of trivia, but it's not a little piece of trivia, it's very important. They have found more ancient Beit Knessets from when we say ancient we mean like two thousand years and older 
in the Golan than any other part of the country. Bar none. Because at that time, the Golan was like, it was, it was part and parcel of Eretz Israel. So there was a community in the Golan that had, had been um, taken hostage and they were taking them into Syria. They took this whole village. And I don't know all the details of the story. It's a true story. But somehow, someone got out and sent a message to Yehuda Maccabee that if something wasn't done, like immediately, all these people were, were goners. And Yehuda Maccabee took a force from Yerushalayim, and in those days, he either took a donkey, a horse, a carriage, and he took, and like just like overnight, he assembled a small <coughs> um, force, and day and they walked and rode day and night till the till the top of the of the Golan. It took them approximately 72 hours. And they were able to find this group and to save them. And to save them. And this is a, an incredible story because also in the annals of the Israeli army just in the last 60 years, there are so many stories of um, uh, soldiers taken behind the lines and the army taking incredible risks uh, to save them. As, as you know, we've had this table out for our missing soldiers, and that's exactly what happened just a year and a half ago. Those two soldiers were kidnapped, and immediately the army sent in with very little preparation after them, and then eight soldiers were killed. Eight soldiers were killed in trying to rescue them before they were like, whisked away. And that's what started the whole war in Lebanon. It started over a very similar story of the story of Yehuda Maccabee. But he was, he was successful. It was like, it, when I first read this story, uh, it was written up as a, an ancient Entebbe. That in, in comparison, it was like Entebbe. That they, very small force, they went into Syria and really against all odds, they, they saved this whole community and, and they brought them back. So the, the connection of leadership in Hanukkah is, is such an incredibly important connection. And that's our connection with, with, with Tikkun Olam. That's why our last uh, official meeting, anyways, this semester was connected to Hanukkah because on an individual level, if someone wants to be involved in fixing the world, it means a, a certain amount of leadership uh, qualities have to rise up in a person. Because it's one thing to want to fix the world or fix a small corner of the world. This is a big mistake that a lot of people make. A lot of people, especially your age, and believe it or not, I was your age also, 
and I was very, very involved in all kinds of uh, political movements, and which at that time I thought would be helping to fix the world. I don't. I have my second thoughts now, but uh, some of them were were still good. But there's this idealism that we want to save the whole world. We want to fix the whole world. And that is a super Jewish idea and feeling. That we want to just fix the whole world. Thank you. And then we get to a certain age that we realize maybe I'm not going to be able to fix the whole world. I mean, I'm not Mashiach. And then what happens to a lot of people, then they chuck the whole thing. It's kind of like, either I can save the whole world, or I'm not going to waste my time on little details. But that's a big mistake. Because really, short of being Mashiach, all of us can just fix our little corner of the world. That's what's given in our hand. Do little, little things. But those little things are significant. And, and we take the example from the Maccabees. There's no greater example of an individual or a few individuals deciding to do something against all logic, against all reason. And they succeeded. And so we should take that inspiration. The one more explanation of bismanazeh, that miracles happen for our fathers in, in those times, in, in those days, in this time, is that we're told every Hanukkah, and this is actually true for every holiday, the original energy of the holiday is present. And here's also a little known fact, is the question is, so when was Hanukkah made a holiday? So one would think, after they lit the candles, there was the miracle. So they established, from now on, at this time every year, we're going to have a holiday called Hanukkah. But interesting enough, they had that idea, but they decided we're going to wait a year. And if, uh, and we're talking about the, the sages here, who had a certain sense of prophecy. They weren't prophets at that point, but they had a sense of prophecy. And they said, if we feel that same energy, like in the air, then we'll know that this is meant to be a holiday. And so they waited, and sure enough, they all, they all felt that original energy was like now locked in to Bizman Hazah. And so they established the holiday. So, oh Dad, would you like to say something? Yeah, I want to say something. Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is my last event for the semester, so and our, our last joint event. So most of you, I mean, some of you won't be here for the next semester, so I want to thank you, first of all. I mean, I thank you in Thanksgiving. Some of you, most of you were there, but uh, so I want to thank you very much. Uh, one of the concepts of Hanukkah is uh, drawing uh, uh, darkness away, I think. And what I sense in the last, uh, and I must say this with all my heart, really, 
in the last three and a half months, four months, I really feel uh, that we uh, drew the darkness away uh, in our activities, in, our, in my programs and so on. Uh, so I want to thank you very much. And uh, that's basically it. Thank you. Nati, you want to say something? Thank you. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to mention what you said about how the little things make a difference. So we have some little things that you guys can do. Um, for everybody who doesn't know, there's uh, recycling bins right by Oded's office for paper and plastic. So I urge you guys to uh, gather bottles, put them there. If it gets too full, then maybe you can... No, then we, we take them away. <coughs> and uh, in regards to the soldiers, we've been signing these petitions to send to the UN advocacy for release of information and hopefully eventually the release of the soldiers. So uh, I urge everybody who hasn't signed it to put their name on this petition. It's like the third one that we're filling up. I want to send as many as I can so before you leave the room. And sitting right next to it in a second. Yeah. That's it. Another thing is, on, uh, I hope most of you come, are coming to a lot. So uh, we'll have a, I will, I will have an activity there during Saturday, also on Hanukkah. And next semester, will me, uh, the rabbi, and me and Nati will work on uh, another program, a program. We didn't set the dates yet, very good. So those of you who stay here for the next semester are. Uh, uh, I eager you to, to come and uh, join us. Uh, we had a great, great, I think we had a great, great program. Uh, that's basically it. Also, next semester, if you guys are here, there's a lot of the people who are helping Odette with this program this semester that aren't going to be here. <laughs> like, my, like, my <laughs> like me. Like me. Maya, you're leaving. Yeah. Oi. Yeah, <laughs> so um, if there's anybody that's interested to help um, to organize the programs, it's a really good um, volunteering. Thing, and it's fun, but it's great. Yeah, my office is uh, really... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so just follow that if you're interested. And, uh, yeah. Some people approach me, but we have uh, we have the Student Action Committee. <coughs> so, uh, my was my, I must say, was my biggest help during the semester. And with some other people, I mean, uh, uh, Brian, Eric, uh, I, will, I, will, I won't mention everyone, but they will, and John, of course. Uh, but uh, so, if some of you wanted to uh, help us in the organizing activities, uh, that would be okay. Okay, I want to take this opportunity to, for myself, to thank Oded also and Nati, okay. because um, I think we really did some really good things. And it's only December. It's only December. We have a, a lot of time to do lots more really good things. And the truth is, it's our, uh, this program began last year. So this is really the second year of Student Tikkun Olam. And our real purpose is not any particular individual program. As much as each program is important, like we said, it's, the details are important. But what we hope to do is to inspire people to get involved, especially in your campuses. And after you graduate in, in, your, in your home communities, in all kinds of uh, different activities. And I, I almost forgot, but I have, not I, we, we have a present for everyone. I hope you'll, you'll like this present. Is we made a pamphlet that has a, uh, an assortment of different sources 
Different sources about chesed, about uh, acts of loving kindness in the Jewish tradition. If you ever have to do your doctorate on this, you'll have your sources right here. But we wanted to give it this to you at Hanukkah time um, as kind of like the, the end of this semester that you will take you will take these ideas with you and you will put them into practice in your own lives on your campus in your communities that it says in Pirkei Avot that the world stands on three pillars on Torah Avoda and Gemilut Hasidim. Um, learning Torah, um, let's call it the service of God, and acts of loving kindness. And acts of loving kindness is what Tikkun Olam is all about. And we hope that you will take the time to look over these sources um, because many of you do these things already but just may not be aware of where the sources in our tradition are for it. And it's actually very important to know that a lot of the things that we're, we're taught <coughs> at home and in school, but we don't really know really where it's coming from, that we know the Jewish sources for. So hopefully all of you will get to use this, and this is our Hanukkah present for you this year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm asking yeah. for everybody to leave. Sorry, um, we also have uh, an email sheet here, so anybody who isn't on our email list would like to get emails, especially if you're going to be here next semester. Um, please put your name and email on this. Mm -hmm. so um, what I'm going to do is announce the Bet Hillel Clay if you need tickets and you don't already have, which you should, because it'll be great. Um, the window up here with a nice lady sitting in it, or outside the cafeteria in Boya, we're selling tickets 45 shakal, which are not bargain. Okay, for those who want, we'll, we'll, we'll go like 15 more minutes. Um, I just have one more section. A anyone who needs to leave, please, it, it won't bother. But for those who want to stay, I want to teach you some very, very beautiful secrets about the lights of Hanukkah. That when you light the lights, you'll have some very nice ideas to think about while you're lighting. Okay? And people are, w are welcome to take some sufgan out with them and um, squirrel them away for it. <laughs> They're really not good the next day. So you're highly advised to uh, eat them today. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> no, next day not good. You'll be around for long? Yeah, oh, I'll be. I'll be in your office. I'll be in your office. Next to my office. Oh, that's your base? I'll be there for now. Just do me a favor. Can we get this one show there? So for that, the first 
event already. I have one to. to okay, so I'll, get, I'll give you four. Give right more. I'll I'll give you more. Yeah, I'll be glad. It's it really helpful. Sure. I can't do it with sucking the food. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you. Uh, okay, so for those who are staying, um, we'll make this short and sweet. But. I think everyone knows that there's something very, very special about watching a candle. Let's forget Hanukkah for right now. I think everyone has had that experience at one time or another of just sitting and gazing at a candle and just kind of, kind of floating away, being uh, taken by the magic of the light. Am I correct? Everyone's had this experience? Mm-hmm. Some, um, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we're told that there is no time more appropriate for this kind of activity than on Hanukkah. And the Hasidic Rebbe's taught very, very strongly that to be to fulfill one's obligation, one just has to light a candle that will last 30 minutes into the evening. That's why you'll see slightly bigger, everyone's used to these candles. So there's a bigger size of candles that are for Shabbos. Why? Because we we have to light Shabbos candles earlier. We don't wait till after the sun sets. That's when we usually wait to light Hanukkah candles. We have to light them before. And they're supposed to last 30 minutes into the evening. But technically, you can light it. As long as you're sure that it will it will stay lit, you can walk. Yeah? What time are we supposed to light tonight exactly? Um, I don't know exact it's time. Then. No, 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 no. no. Way before that. Because, like, oh, okay. Because, uh, yeah. Just the village, they're lighting it. Oh, okay. Let's put it this way. You can technically light it all night long. Okay? But there's what's called like the best time. And that is basically once the... Um, it's actually between the sunset and the three stars. Any time... There's not an exact time. It's not really an exact <coughs> time. But right... At, we'll call it twilight. Right at twilight. And the reason was, the, the, the ancient reason was, they didn't have electricity like we have now. People's schedules were very different. People woke up at the crack of dawn. And after sunset, people were just not in the streets like we're used to now. You get to where you need to go because things are dark. And so they wanted the lights to be lit right when people are going home so that everyone would see it. It's called Pursuming Nisa. Everyone would see the, the lights of the miracle. Now, we can, we can light all night long. Just done before it gets like pitch black. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it comes out around the 4.30 hour, a little bit after, right? Sometimes between yeah. 4.30 and 5. Right, right now, sunset is approximately 4.35. Right around 4.35. So, a little bit after that. There's something terrible. They're lighting it at, say, half past 10 at night. Okay, I have a question. <laughs> it's it's like not the end of the world. As long as there are people around. Yeah. Two people up. So if I 
get home from late, really late, but like Emily and Eden are still awake, then I can mingle. So we'll all be awake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. So, what the Ashkenazim, the light the candles earlier than the Sephardic. That I don't know. That I don't know. Abiyot. Okay, so that was not the main point I wanted to make. Sorry. That the, no, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. That the, our obligation is to light the lights. But the, all the Hasidic teaching says, what a chaval to light the lights and then walk away. And most people have the tendency to light the lights, sing Mausur, and then go eat, um, give presents, you know, whatever. The teaching is that this is the most potent time of perhaps the entire year to gaze at the lights of the Hanukkah and to use it as a doorway into the Neshama. Why? Because we have a verse that says, Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. Can someone translate that for me? Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. Soul of man. The candle of God is the soul of man. In other words, the light, what we call the light of God, is contained in the soul of man. So when we look at the Hanukkah lights, we're told that we should remember this verse. We should, in, in a sense, meditate on this verse. Ner Hashem Nishmaratam. Does everyone got it? Yeah? Yep. Four words. Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. And while we're watching the candles, to be aware of how this light of the candles is connected to the essence of our soul. And then some people do a beautiful thing. <coughs> and there are different ways that this is done. But according to Kabbalah, there are five levels of the soul. Who can tell me in their proper order, from below to above? What's the, what's the, what's called the lowest <laughs> level of soul? Physical. Um, sorry, it's the rocks. No, physical. Oh, never mind. No, no. I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, there's like the rocks. Uh, the mineral, the vegetable, of the soul, animal. of the or of the human. Uh, of the soul, the human soul, soul. the soul. Soul. Only yeah. soul. Oh, you know, and nephesh. Ah, <laughs> yes. So the first level is called the nephesh. This is what's called the, the animal or behavioristic soul that is, clings mostly to the body. Animals also have a nephesh, have an uh, a animal soul. What's above nephesh? Emotion. Emotions, right? And what's the Hebrew word for that level of soul, for the emotions? Well, that's uh, like an adjective, but there's a name of the soul. Not yet. I'll draw this out of you. What's it begin with? What? A reish. But it's connected. Ruach. Ruach. 
is connected to regish and the emotions. Then comes intellect, intellect which is which Bina. word of the soul? Neshama. Neshama. So what do we have? Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. Neshama is the intellect. <coughs> then we have what's called Chaya. 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 What's the root of the word Chaya? Chaya, life force. But this is not the life force of the Nefesh, the lower soul. This is the life force of will that, that drives a person to reach higher levels than just an animal. Here we're getting into what's called the superconscious, <coughs> that level of soul that it doesn't manifest itself so clearly in the nefesh, ruach, and neshama. It's it's surrounding, and then the highest level, yechida, which means the unique spark of godliness within us. You now that spark that makes the soul divine. That's the level of Yechida. Why is it unique? Why is it unique? Everyone is unique. So everyone's... Every, you're right. Everyone has, what, let's say, call it the general image of God, but everyone is absolutely unique. We've all got a separate, little different image of God, even though it's all the same God. Yeah. The God doesn't change. You say that we're all different gods, then? No. We don't say that. We could say. We can say that we all have a different spark of God animating our soul. And that's how we would say it. Right? In New Age, you'll have, we are all gods. That's not exactly a Jewish thing. We are all connected to God in the most intimate soul way. Absolutely. But what makes you, you, and me, me, that's what's in the Yechida. That's what's in the, the unique spark. So why am I saying all of this? Because, yeah. Is the Yechida like the only bit that can't become corrupted? Or does that mean we can think of something else? Um, you could say that. That's, that's what's called the, right, that's what's called, sometimes called the Pintal Yid. The little spark of holiness. Now, listen to this connection. Everyone connects it to the small cruise of oil. Now, there's the entire temple was defiled. All the oil was defiled, but they found one cruise of oil that had the seal of the Kohen Gadol to uh, assert that it was uh, pure. So we're told that that's a metaphor. A metaphor that in each person no matter how much we may become defiled or far away from our roots or our essence, there is always a pure, absolute pure spark that never gets blemished. And that's called the Yechida. So why, why am I saying all of this? Because we're told that when we look at the candle, different parts of the candle represent different levels of the soul. Like I said, there are different versions of how to do this. But one version is that the wick 
is the nefesh. Why? Because the wick is connected to the candle, the physical candle. So the wick is the nefesh. If you look very carefully at a, at a candle, close to the wick is a black flame. A dark black flame. That is the ruach. Then there is a blue flame. That's the neshama. Then there is the like the body of the flame. That is the chaya. And the glow that comes out from the candle. And sometimes if, if the lights are low, you can, you can see the glow. That's the yechidah. Yechidah is the hardest to see. So you don't see it all the time. But some, depending on how the, the moisture in the air, it's like the halo. That is the yechidah. And so we're told that you can look at a candle and you can meditate on the different levels of the soul. And it's a very, very potent meditation. But even more than that, even more than that, it's just a simple, we don't want to get so complicated, it's just a simple connection between the light of God and the light of the soul. And therefore, when we're watching the, the it's not so much we're watching the candles, we're watching the light. Watching the light. Now, for those who like gematria, the numerical value of light, anyone tell me? No, you're close. No. How much is Aleph? One. Or, or. Vav? Sheesh. And Resh? 200. 207. 207. The, another expression in Hebrew that has the exact same numerical value, we're told that when words have the same value, there are very deep connections. Ein Sof. The, in, the infinite aspect of God. So we're told that when we're watching the lights of Hanukkah, and this really applies to the, anytime we look at light, but specifically Hanukkah, that the light connects us to the Ein Sof. That there's something special about light that connects us to the infinite aspect of God. And our soul, that spark in our soul of godliness has a, a spark of infinite energy in it. That's what we say, that the soul is eternal. The body dies. But the soul is eternal. And it can only be eternal because it has that spark of the Ain Soul. Now, an, a, another beautiful understanding here is if you take 207 and you just invert the numbers. In mathematics, there's a whole wisdom about what are called inverted numbers. So what do you get? 702. 702 is Shabbos. And that's the spiritual reason. There, there, there are halachic reasons 
and practical reasons why we light candles on Shabbos. The practical reasons is actually brought in the Gemara is to bring peace in the home. Because if there's no light in the house, some it's inevitable that someone's going to trip and they're going to get angry and they're going to yell at each other and there's no Shabbat Shalom. So we light candles. That's the, the example that's brought in the Gemara. The spiritual reason we start every Shabbos and for all the women here, you have the privilege of bringing Shabbos in. When women go like this, it's as if they are taking this infinite light and bringing it into Shabbos. Bringing it into Shabbos. Want to hear more secrets? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, how many lights do we light during Hanukkah? In other words, first night we light... Oh, let's not count the shamash. The shamash. Because technically, if you have all the lights in the room, technically you don't have to have a shamash. But we have, by tradition, we have a shamash. But, so if it, the first night is one, the second night is two, so... 36. In other words, it 1 plus 2 plus 3 <coughs> plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 plus 8 <coughs> equals 36. Okay, so this has tremendous significance. And you can be thinking about this each night. So first of all, we have a tradition that in every generation there are 36 what? Sadikim. Right. And not only Sadikim, but we're told hidden Sadikim. Now, those people don't know who they are. And we're told that the whole world exists because of them. And no one knows who it is. So it could be the person next door. And you wouldn't know. And part of the, the idea is that it is hidden. But sometimes you, the person who is the hidden side doesn't even know that he's upholding the whole world through his good deeds. That's how hidden it can be. But then there's all kinds of stories about the hidden Sadiqim. But there's an expression, not an expression, a verse that says, um, one second, call Amech Sadiqim. All of your people are Sadiqim. So we're told that this point called the Yechida, this is the point in every person that's a tzaddik. And everyone has it. So we're told that when we watch the lights, the 36 lights of Hanukkah, that we should be connecting to that part of ourselves that really is a tzaddik. Maybe it hasn't manifested itself completely, or maybe not at all. But we should know that it's there. And, and the lights are just little little candles, but it reminds us that we have this spark in us. But there's more about 36. There's a midrash that says, well, let's go back. On the first day of creation, when light was created, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, 
Was it a physical light? No. How, how do we know that? Sun isn't created for a few more days. Right. In other words, um, it was only in the fourth day that light was created. Uh, remember, this is before electricity, so for a, a human, for our consciousness, light is intrinsically connected to the sun. That is, for, in, in, in natural terms, if you take away all the gas and oil and candles and everything, light is connected to the, to the sun or reflected off of the moon at night. So we're told that on the first day, it wasn't a perceptible uh, physical light. Gerald Schroeder explains that it was the potential of electromagnetic energy. That light was a part of the band of light that would later be called light. But the sages understand, even though there is, so there is an aspect that there is a physical notion to this light, but the sages say it was a spiritual light. What happened, according to our tradition, what happened to that light? It was broken. Not broken. <laughs> close. Oh, it was um, in kind of, and then they broke. Ah, oh no, so, uh, so you're, <laughs> no, no, you're a little bit confusing what's called the breaking of the vessels right. with this light. Okay. But you're, you're actually right that this light does symbolize that original light. But Rashi tells us, according to the Gemara, that this light was hidden away. It was hidden away. Why? Very similar, because the light was too strong. There weren't vessels to contain this light. So the sages teach, when it means hidden away, it doesn't mean taken away. There's a big difference. If it's taken away, then it no longer is accessible. If it's hidden means if you un uh, if you reveal it, then it's not hidden anymore. So they say that this light, uh, there are four things that I'll mention, and there's there's probably a few others, but we're told that this light was hidden in the Torah, was hidden in Shabbos, was hidden in the menorah in the temple and in the Hanukkah, in the light of the Hanukkah. So that's why this numerical value of light equaling Ein Sof is so important, because that this original light was infinite. It was an infinite light, but the world was not yet ready for it. So God just withdrew the light and hid it in the Torah, because we call the Torah light. Shabbos, we just talked about the connection of Shabbos and light. And the menorah in the temple is what the Maccabim relit, and that's where we have Hanukkiahs, represents this infinite light. So that means we could sit in front of our Hanukkiahs and connect to the infinite light of God. This is an awesome thing. But it needs one thing. It needs a person's willingness to sit there for a few mi- at least a few minutes 
the, the, the Hasidic rabbis would sit there for hours. They would sit there for hours. And they were getting inspiration for the whole year. They would get inspiration for the whole year. So I'm, I'm suggesting, encouraging, urging everyone to, if you can't do it every night, just when you light your candles, just fit, sit there and stare at them. And let it do its magic. Let it, it will do its magic. But you have to be like open to it. So that's what I'm, I'm encouraging everyone. So I just want to end with a song that is very connected to this. It's called Chuteha Neshama the strings of the soul. That just like we play an instrument and it creates music, if we know how to pluck the strings of our soul, it also makes music. Also makes music. And watching the light, see that one of the secrets of light is it's a wave. Now we're talking scientifically. A light is a wave. Waves are very connected to frequency and vibration. In other words, light is a very small band of the electromagnetic energy. X-rays, gamma rays, microwaves, ultra-red, ultraviolet, these are all part of the spectrum. And what makes them different? Their waves and their frequencies on the band, that's what makes them different. So when, while we're watching the candles, it's also very nice to put your favorite mellow music on in the background. I always do that. I always meditate with... Uh, I don't put on rap, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> You put on something really mellow and spiritual and that that helps immensely the meditation. Helps immensely. So this song was really came down with this kind of this, this kind of energy.
Thank you all for coming. Thank you so much for coming. Anyone who didn't give us your emails, if you're not on our list, please give us your emails. Have, a, have an enlightening Hanukkah. Anybody wants to put their email on the list here? I have to work with you recorded everything? Mm-hmm. And now that's on as well. <laughs> I even took a video and pictures. Why is it still recording? <laughs>